0: 1 Timothy 6 and Philippians 4. We're going to read from 1 Timothy 6, and then you can actually lose your place there. and We go to Philippians 4, because we'll be staying there. We're going to be a little bit more topical tonight, but still expository through the Philippians passage. But the topic tonight is going to be the subject of contentment. Um, Not a fun one to study through, contentment, because hits you right in the eyes. Every time you start studying and, well, this is what we ought to do, and then you examine your own life. That's how preaching works. You, you let God work in you, and then as you learn and you grow, you, are, you then try to convey what you've learned and how you've grown. And, uh, and it, it's, this was, it's a convicting subject, um, the subject of, of contentment. Um, but that's, that's going to be our topic. So, actually, one of my favorite verses when it comes to contentment is actually this verse in 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 6. And we'll just read verses 6 through 8. Verse number 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now that sounds oxymoronic because contentment and gain aren't supposed to go in the same sentence together because you're supposed to be content with what you have. But we're saying godliness, not just simply godliness at all, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And then, verse 7 for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8 and having food and raiment, uh, uh, let us be therewith content. And now let's look over in Philippians chapter 4. I have a hard time with where to start in Philippians 4, because it's such a great chapter of the Bible. Uh, I I think, uh, since you asked, um, I think that Philippians is my favorite epistle that Paul wrote. I love the book of Philippians. Um, So, we're actually going to read more than I plan on reading tonight. Let's start in verse uh, 4. Philippians 4, 4. whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you." And then we come to that conjunction, but. But I rejoice, this is our text tonight, in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me." <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word that we've read tonight. I pray that it would be a help um, to us and, and as we apply what You have written to us to our lives. I pray that we would change uh, for the better uh, because of heeding Your Word in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's one of my favorites. Somebody talks about the word contentment. It's the first verse that comes to mind. um, That that great gain in the spiritual sense can only be attained when a a godly person adds to their godliness a spirit of contentment. It's the only way that we can gain. um, I've heard of two different definitions for contentment. Contentment one of them is it's just simply satisfaction with what one has The other is is this and maybe maybe a little bit more of a spiritual um, (coughs) Definition for contentment. It's realizing that God has already given me everything I need for my present happiness Um, It's kind of ironic we live in in America The most prosperous nation in the world. The most prosperous nation, we, I don't know you could really argue this fact against or for, but probably in the history of the world. As far as as prosperity goes, this is a prosperous nation that has been greatly blessed. Um, A writer by the name of John Cheever once said, the main emotion of the adult American who has had all of the advantages of wealth, education, and culture is disappointment it's the greatest greatest emotion of many adult americans even with all of our advantages disappointment discontent is the driving force of our political divisions it's the main reason we go into debt it causes people to resort to unnecessary cosmetic surgeries it feeds our incessant, keeping up with the Joneses syndrome. Now, that cosmetic surgery thing is kind of annoying to me because Facebook, its now it's going to throw all kinds of ads at my feed because I said the words. A million dollars, a million dollars. No, like, I, <laughs> sometimes you say something and all of a sudden, there you go. Now I'm just going to have things like, you know, your nose is crooked. Um, uh, thanks. Appreciate that. That's going to help me a lot. And don't any of you start sending me things in Facebook Messenger either. That'll hurt my feelings, not that you care. Uh, there was a story of a king uh, one time was suffering from a malady, a sickness that he was, he was going to die from. And, and somebody had given him advice is obviously a fictional story that if he, could find, if he could find the shirt of a contented man and he were to put that shirt on, he would be cured. And so, people in the kingdom started out on their search for the contented man so they could get his shirt and they could put it on the king and he could be cured of his ailment. And after a long search, they came in and said, Your Majesty, we found a contented man. And he said, Great, great, this is good news. I can finally be cured. Can I have his shirt? And they said, You don't understand, he doesn't own one. Um, Contentment doesn't have to do with what we do and don't have. We, 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 a lot of times we'll focus on, well, I can be content with nothing or I can be content with more, but what we're doing is we're focusing on the things instead of inside of us who we are and what we are, should we be content. Um, the Bible says a lot about contentment. In Philippians 4, in these verses that we just read, he, he says, he says in, in verse, in verse number 11, for I have learned. He, Paul doesn't say I unlocked that that skill. Any gamers in here? I don't know. I, it, it, was, it was grayed out and now it's color because it's open for me. I can go there now. I've unlocked a skill that's already been in me and built into me. I can be content now. No, Paul says I learned. It, it's, this, is a, this is an act of, learning In verse 12 he says, "I am instructed. So we have we have th- this is external as we take in what God teaches us, we can grow in our contentment. Um, it's a learned behavior. It's learned state of being. Um, it's both an action and a state of being. in um, ways to ways to discern, if, and again, this, this, was, this has been very convicting for me um, over this week. How do we tell if we're discontent? How do we, how do we know if contentment is a problem in our lives? You, you, you find yourself saying two little words. There really could be several different ways of saying it. But I wish, or if only. We have those, those something that's out of my control isn't happening, like I want it to happen, therefore. And it's more excuse things. If I had more money, or if I had a bigger house, or if I had a better car, or if I owned a boat, I, I'm gonna tell you, I'd take all of you boating if I owned a boat. Um, but it wouldn't make me content, because the next thing you say when you own a boat is, "I wish I could get rid of this boat, um, <laughs> a hole in the water that you throw money into." Just it's just you find yourself saying, "I wish" or "If only." And First Corinthians. Uh, chapter ten gives us the idea. If we looked there, it gives us the idea. God really doesn't care for grumbling and complaining and discontentment. He he doesn't like it. Uh, it doesn't please him at all. And and the main reason is when we when we examine our lives and we find areas in our lives where we have discontentment, what we find is um, we're displeasing to Him with our lives, and, and it's for the, this, this is the reason why. First of all, it, it, it betrays a lack of faith. If, if I, faith and contentment can be put hand in hand because in order to be content, one must have faith in the one who said he would provide as the need arises. So if I don't have contentment, then I don't have faith. I'm not having faith in God. It denies the goodness of God, is what it does. When I'm not content... Um, it it rejects His sovereignty. I know that's a word we don't like to use in Baptist churches very often, but it it rejects His sovereignty. A lack of faith in in the fact that He is Lord over all. um, It shows an unwillingness for us to to just submit to His management. We, Romans eight twenty eight. We know all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to His purpose. We know that that in our lives, even when something bad happens in our life, that God can work that together for good. Um, in effect, being discontented or having a spirit of discontentment is like telling God He doesn't know what He's doing or that I can run the show better than him. And we don't say those words. I know I would never say those words out loud to him, but I act them out really good. I'm a good pantomime uh, to, to show him that I think I can do it better. It also reveals an ingratitude for his blessings. Th- this is where, it, it's so funny, because as, as I'm going through and studying, I think it was not this past, but the Sunday before when Pastor was talking, and I, I think it was this past Uh, Sunday that he was here last, where he talked about the children of Israel, and he talked about, he talked about Caleb and Joshua and the rest of the ten spies that went in to spy out the land, and they came back, and what did it say? It says, they gave an evil report of the land, the promised land, the land that God said is good, that God said is flowing with milk and honey, that God said they've built up their cities and they've planted rows of crops, you won't have to build yourself a house. You won't have to plant a thing. All you'll have to do is go and take over the land, live in the houses, and reap the benefits of what they've planted. That's what he told them. It's good. And what did, what did the ten bad spies say? They brought an evil report. And he said this in the message, and I, I, this, the words echoed. What kind of a slap in the face is that to God when I look at something He's blessed me with? And I say, that's not good enough. I bring an evil report of it. And it, that struck me two weeks ago. I, we, we bought a car, a used SUV. And, and for a while after we bought it, anybody who's, uh, who's talked to me, you've heard me go, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm nervous. What if, it, what if it breaks down? That's an evil report of a blessing that has been given to us. In a market where where cars were very expensive, used SUVs were really expensive, and God gave us the right amount of money to pay cash for a vehicle because we didn't want to go into debt in a new vehicle. And He provides something for us, something that runs great and hasn't given us really major engine problems, and I'm concerned the entire time I'm driving it, nervous. We took the thing to Texas and back, and it didn't even hiccup. But what did i do the whole time we were driving i told georgia we were almost home we were like on 84 in town and i said well i'm still kind of afraid to mention it i don't want to say it out loud but it's been running good hasn't it and that i didn't i don't want to say i don't want to say we haven't had a single problem because immediately i knew in my mind it was going to conk out on us because god's that cruel because his blessing isn't good. Like, seriously, this is, how, this is how that affected me two Sundays ago. I'm still dealing with it. Um, <laughs> we, ought, we ought to be content. Um, and, and, and it's not just, I, I'm not going to dwell on this long, but man, we, sometimes we get, we get discontented with features that we have physically that are unchangeable features. I like Abraham Lincoln said one time because a man called him two-faced and he said sir if I had another face Do you think I would be wearing this one? (laughs) Uh, But we get we get this discontentment with something that literally we can't change now Facebook's gonna tell me later you can change your face plastic surgery, Uh, but We we get discontent because we're not tall enough or we're too tall or we're things that we don't have control over that God literally He created us like this, and we spit in His face, and we say, it's not good, I have an evil report of this. I'm too whatever, because God made a mistake. He doesn't make mistakes. Now, you want to know a good example of somebody who has unchangeable physical features that he could be discontented with. Some people complain that their arms are not long enough, or their arms are too short. Nick Vujicic doesn't have arms. Look him up. (laughs) He doesn't have legs. He has, he calls it his flipper. He has one piece of a leg that he's able to use on a phone, he's able to scroll on a phone. He has no arms or legs. The man's a, he is a bold witness for Jesus Christ. The man, I I say he stands, He, he literally went to one of his, one of his events. They put a table up on the platform so that he can be high enough for everybody to see him. He is a torso and a head, and the man sings the praises to God. He glorifies and honors God in his body. How about that? But I don't like the shape of my nose. Discontentment, it's the next thing thing we ought to be content with, not just the unchangeable features we have, but our circumstances in life. Um, Circumstances in life. Uh, let's, Let's look real quickly at Hebrews. Hebrews 13. You probably can quote this verse. Talking about the subject of contentment, there's like 17 places you can go in the New Testament to find um, contentment. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number five, it says, let your, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, not gonna do a whole new thing on this, but, but just, he said, be content with such things as you have, for I have said, I will never leave you or forsake you, but I don't have enough. No, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What he's implying to us is, I'm enough. That's what he's saying to us. Hey, conversation, your lifestyle should be without any covetousness. You shouldn't be looking at anything that you don't have with covetousness, which is, I wish I had that instead of them. I I I wish they lost it and I gained it. And then he says, be content with such things as you have, because I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm enough for you. Just just let that sink in, because that's, that's how our passage in Philippians ends up. He's enough. Um, have you ever sold something? I just sold a bike recently. And the person pays you what you're asking without any question or hesitation. What's the first thing you think? I should have asked for more. Asked for more. <laughs> Doggone it. Oh, that sucker took, I mean, that nice gentleman took this for that. I should have asked for more, and then I could have more, right? Um, there was, a, there was a, a British lord who was going downstairs one morning, and as he passed by the kitchen door, he heard cook. He heard his cook saying, if only I had five pounds, wouldn't I be content? And, and he, he kept going, and it, it struck him. He said, you know what? I got five pounds, I can give her five pounds. I have the money. So he walked in and he handed her a five pound note, handed it to her and walked out. (laughs) He got outside the kitchen and he overheard her say, why didn't I say (laughs) 10? John Rockefeller was asked one time, how much money does it take to be happy? You know his reply? Just a little more, just a little more. It's been proven has been proven, and, I, and I've said this already, contentment has nothing to do with what you have. It has, it, if you're focusing on what you do or don't have, then you are focused on the wrong thing and you will lose your contentment. If you're, you, I got plenty, I'm content. Well, what if you don't have plenty? I don't have anything, I'm content. Well, what if you end up with something more? Like, you literally can get out of balance just by focusing on the things um, Because money and material things will not bring contentment. It comes from within us as we learn from the external circumstances that God allows in our lives. Um, There's an entire multi-billion dollar industry out there that makes all of its money on implying discontentment, creating discontentment by saying you need this. You know, if you had this mascara is that the eyelash thing if you had this mascara your eyelashes would look longer what's the deal with long eyelashes i don't understand i'm sorry maybe if you like lived in a humid climate it could help fan your face when you blinked (laughs) but i've seen women sometimes that could like blow the paint off of a car by blinking the the you have you seen them they look like they got two like dust feather duster thingies anyway um You'll be respected on the court if you have these shoes. Definitely not LeBron shoes, um, sorry. Uh, what level of dif- discontentment do we have? What level, well, where, where are we? Would you, do you complain about the level of income that you have? Not, not do you, are you willing to work hard to get a raise or to find another job that pays better or what? But it's literally sitting in what you have and saying, I don't make enough money, I'm discontented with this. It's, it's a discontentment. Um, is there a jealousy when somebody gets something that you can't afford? I, I get jealous sometimes Somebody to get something really nice. And Al, he bought a bike that I didn't have and I wanted the bike. And he said, you can ride it anytime you want. And he let me ride it. It was nice of you, Al. It helped our relationship, thank you. <laughs> it built, built, uh, built a bridge. Um, have you complained, think about your week, have you complained about your car or your clothes or anything else this week? Something just, have you focused on that thing and complained about it? This is how we know that we're being discontented is when we find ourselves complaining about material things. Contentment looks like not complaining about the way things are and just thanking God for what we have. Just, just thanking him for what we have. Be careful for nothing but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving. Um, uh, we often will casually quote Philippians four thirteen. We're back in Philippians chapter four, verse thirteen. We often hear it casually quoted. And, and I know I'm preaching to a choir. You all know this for a fact. But it just feels good to say something that everybody in the room was going to agree with. Okay, so just bear with me. And if you disagree with me, I'm going to throw my water bottle at your face. Um, not really. I would never do that. I like my water bottle. Um, but man, there's all kind of context that Philippians 4.13 is used that it does not belong in. Uh, I can stay on this diet because I can do all things through Christ. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to use that four-letter word in church, but I did. Um, first three letters spell die, by the way, so just, you want to... I can get a promotion, or I can do well on a test, or I can lift this heavy thing, or I can... Because I can do all things through Christ with strength with me. He gives me strength to do anything I want to do. Because the Holy Spirit, honestly, He's a leatherman that we keep in our little pocket... We pull it out of our pouch anytime time we need to use Him, and we wield Him like our tool, because He's our tool, right? The Holy Spirit, we get to wield Him however we want to No! You're His possession. You're Christ's possession. You want to do something? Make sure it's His work in His way, and He will strengthen you in it. But it ain't about dieting and good night, walking into your boss and saying, give me a raise, I deserve it, and seeing what happens. Man, we make Him a liar. Because we'll walk in in those situations, and when we tell people that you can do all things through Christ, and they walk in and they try to do a thing through Christ, and it doesn't happen, they're like, oh man, what else is this guy lying to me about? Um, man, Paul says, I've learned some really important things in my life. I've learned, I've learned to be just as content when I have very little. And I have learned to be just as content when I have a lot because in Paul's situation, Paul, where did he write Philippians from? Does anybody know where Philippians is written from? It's from jail. It's a prison epistle. How much work you think a tent maker is gonna get while he's sitting in jail? Not many people calling on a on a a convict to build him a tent. So Paul ain't got no money rolling in from his his work, and and that's what he's writing about here when he tells the Philippian church. He says, look. He says, hey, you, you in, in, verse, in verse somewhere, 10, um, <laughs> he says, I rejoice Lord greatly that now in the last your care of me hath flourished again. He's, th- what, what happened is the Philippian church, we have the first European convert at the Philippian church. Her name's Lydia. She's a wealthy woman. She's a seller of purple and probably is the main financier in the Philippian church. But they took up offerings regularly. They loved Paul. They supported Paul financially, and they would send him money. And he says, there was a time when you didn't send me any money, and I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying, there was a time when you know, guys, you know you couldn't. You lacked opportunity. That's what he says, you lacked opportunity. And he says, you tried to send me, and we don't know what happened, if they didn't have a messenger, or they didn't have the money, or whatever it was. But, but he says, now I'm rejoicing because man, your care for me has flourished again. This is a good thing. But he's, he's saying, look, I, I've been through having no money and no means of income. I've been through having plenty of money. I, I know how to go through this. And that's what he's talking about, the context of what, what, what can I actually do? I can be content regardless of my circumstances because I'm not focusing on those. That's what he's saying. I'm not focusing on my circumstances. So you probably already have, like, three-point lists started. We're going to do the actual one. This is our ap- actual application. So I hope you enjoy the other three outlines. Um, so had, had somebody tell me in Jacksonville one time when I finished. Um, uh, it was a good message, all three of them. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the encouragement. Um, I just want to look at three ways that we can grow in our contentment first way is to learn to submit to the Lord. Just learn to submit. Uh, submission, it, it involves all the things, faith and trust, but just learn to submit. He mentions in our passage, the church in Philippi's care had flourished. The wording for flourished here is, is the same wording for, for, for flowers blooming again. We have a Christmas cactus that's blooming. Somebody did not give it the memo. It is not Christmas yet, but it's blooming, and it's really cool. I love that plant. Uh, Christmas cactus is one of my favorites. It's, it's flowers blossoming. It's, it, flowers kind of look like life. The plant's not dead without them, but it's just it's life. It's, it's springtime. Or, or trees that through the fall have lost all in the winter. They've lost all their leaves, and, and there's nothing. It's just barren sticks, twigs, And during the spring, life comes back. That's the flourishing. He's saying it went from barren and dry to now it's flourished again. It's come back. It's like blossoming or leaving of trees. He was quick to add that they've always been concerned for his needs, but they've lacked the opportunity to send the funds. And what Paul says to him is, I knew, I knew through all of this that God was in control. I knew through being hungry I'm hungry right now. I didn't eat supper. When I say I'm hungry, you got about 30 minutes before I turn into a new person. So we will finish on time tonight. I, I've, been, I've been hungry. I've been full. And I didn't, I didn't bother with worry. And I didn't bother with just being, just looking at the plenty that I have and just trusting in it. Because I was always looking at Christ strengthening me through it all. I, I, I can't focus on things is what he's saying. He was subject to God in his most practical area, and I I dare say our most practical area, finances. He uses finances to illustrate to us being willing to submit to God in all things, because money is where it hurts, isn't it? It just is. We we need money in order to buy things, and the things keep us alive, and they keep us covered. Um, They keep us moving in cars. We need it. And so he takes that practical that applies to every person on this planet, financial support, and he says, I just submit it to God, regardless of my condition, regardless of anything. And again, this isn't something Paul was born with, and it's not something you were born with or I was born with. It's something that was learned. I have learned and I've been instructed, he says. Uh, uh, You probably know George Mueller. And, and you may have heard this illustration, and this is, this is one of hundreds of illustrations of the exact same type about George Mueller. George Mueller had lived in the 1800s in Bristol, England, and, and he had an orphanage, and, and ultimately multiple orphanages. And, and he and his wife, this is not the point of the message, took Luke 14:33 literally, and they sold all of their possessions, and they had nothing. They sold all of their possessions and they had nothing. They had no personal resources. He was firmly committed to this principle. George Mueller never sent out a prayer letter asking for any supplies. He never sent out, and it, it's, we have missionaries that do that, and I appreciate it because I get to know what our missionary needs, and if I can help fill the need, I will. But George Mueller said, no, nope, I'm just going to pray. And that, he followed this principle, and he kept a journal, and I'm so thankful he kept a journal because you can read where he wrote the need. He said nothing to anybody. And then you can read just a little later the need being filled. And I'm not talking about George Mueller saying, God, in 2024, we just need you to supply our needs so that we can be funded, fully funded for 2024. He's saying, God, I don't have money for tomorrow's meal. We don't have any money for the meal tomorrow. and The kids are hungry. So, George Mueller, George Mueller, He didn't give hints. He was very careful about that, about what he needed and what they needed. And the children never knew about financial difficulties. They never knew of a lack of food or warmth or coal for the fire, uh, uh, clothing or warmth, uh, coal for the fire. They they never knew. But there were times when his faith was tried right down to the wire. And on February 8, 1842, they had enough food in all of the houses for that day's meals. No more money and no more food. We can feed them today, and that's it. It's over. We have no more money and no more food." No, they, he didn't say it's over. But they just knew, that's it. Two houses were completely out of coal. was the winter, February. So he noted in his journal if God did not send help, send help before nine o'clock the next morning, that his name would be dishonored. Just marked in his journal. The next morning, Mueller walked to the orphanage early to see how God would meet their need, only to discover it had already been met. A Christian businessman that night, the night before, had walked about a half a mile past the orphanages toward his place of work, and and the thought occurred to him that the Mueller children might be in need. And he decided, I'm not going to do anything until later. I I misspoke. It It was that morning. Um, I'm not going to go back to the orphanages this evening. I'll go back, and I'll give them. And he said, I couldn't go any further. I, I was constrained, and I had to go back to the orphanage. And he gave a gift that met their need for the next two days. And that's it, the next two days. The, the, Bible, the Bible says, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. Now, if you compare your need, whatever it is, whatever the need is, if you compare that to His riches and glory, because He said, according to His riches and glory. If you compare any need that you have, whether it be financial, monetary, or whether it be health, whether it be anything, compare it to His riches and glory and just see what, what, looks, what looks bigger, what looks like it can handle it. I think, I think when we compare it to His riches, um, our need kind of pales in comparison. But here's, here's the thing, and it's a great rhyme. He said He'd supply your need, not your greed. George said in his journal, if he doesn't provide by tomorrow at nine, his name will be disgraced. And God said, all right, two more days, I'll give you two more days. And George went back to pray. He didn't say, God didn't give me enough. He said, all right, I'll keep praying, and we'll keep praying day to day. Um, and, and there were times, if you read about Mueller's orphanages, where they did have plenty. They abounded. And then there were a lot of times where they suffered need. And through it all, George Mueller just even keeled. He just prayed. Have you ever seen a picture of George Mueller? He's the most unassuming looking man you've ever seen. Uh, people say, I look Amish. He looked Amish, full on. <laughs> so, 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 number one, number one for, for contentment, we need to learn to submit. Just submit to the Lord. Number two, we have to learn to focus on serving the Lord. It is funny that, that when we start focusing on ourselves, we lose sight of the picture that we should actually be focused on, and that's service. Service. Matthew six thirty three says this: Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And then we can say Alleluia, allelu. You know the song. All right, uh, that that like that's that's super simple. But that's exactly, so focus on serving Him. Seek His kingdom first and His righteousness and all these things. You know the context of that passage? He's actually talking about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. The flowers don't worry about whether they're going to have petals tomorrow. The birds don't worry about whether they're going to eat tomorrow. The early bird catches the worm. Could you imagine what the early worm gets? No? I just think of these things because I'm weird. But like the early worm, that stinks. If I was a worm, I'd sleep in. Um... read about a Jewish man in Hungary who went to his rabbi, complained. He said, Rabbi, the life that I live is unbearable. In my home, why am I talking like this? In my home, there are nine of us, nine people living in a small house. It's unbearable with us all living in this one room, small house. What can I do? And the rabbi said, you've got a goat, right? Yes, I do. Take the goat into the house with you. What, rabbi? Take the goat and see me next week. Take two aspirin and call me in the morning, you know. So take, two, take the goat in the house, and I want you to call me two weeks, or oh, next week, come in and see me. And so the, the man did it. He came to the rabbi, and the rabbi said, how are things going? And he said, rabbi, it's awful. The goat is filthy. It stinks in my house. It's disgusting. And you thought I was going to say, not bad, didn't you? You thought, <laughs> you thought. So the rabbi said, go home. Take the goat out of your house and put it back in the pen and see me next week. The man came back to the rabbi, and the rabbi couldn't even ask him how things were going. He said, Rabbi, everything is amazing. With just the nine of us and no goat, everything's wonderful in the house. It's amazing how our perspective can change it, how important our perspective is, Our what we're focusing on and how that matters, especially to our contentment. The whole point here, the whole point here, when we read through this even, Philippians chapter 4, is if we live for ourselves in our own pleasure, we will never know contentment. N- never. Never. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world when he said just a little bit more. Um, we'll never know contentment. And what a what a tortured life, a discontented life. What a tortured life. But I mean, if we follow Paul's path, I mean, the path that he lays out here for us to live, serving the Lord, we will be contented. It doesn't matter what we've got, because we don't focus on that. It's not our... That's not our focus. It's serving Him. That's our focus. The third thing, and and we'll be finished, is to learn to trust that He is sufficient. Learn to trust that the Lord is sufficient. Uh, Sufficient. Enough. Plenty, even. He's he's enough. I'll be brief, because we talked already about this. Paul said, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And notice it's not just how to get along through times of need. Paul didn't say, I'm going to teach you how to get along when, when times are hard and you're struggling. Because if we just focus on getting through times of need, we'll be tempted to take our eyes off the Lord and just get worried. You ever worried over a need? We take our eyes off the Lord, we start to worry. Uh, or as Peter did, start to sink. Uh, and he didn't also, he, he didn't say, I'm going to teach you how to live in abundance. Some of us need to learn how to live in abundance, honestly. Um, I've always joked, God has not given me a lot of money because I don't think He can trust me with it. Uh, that's not true. But uh, Paul didn't say, I'm going to teach you how to live in abundance. You know why? Because a lot of times with abundance, when we just focus on living with abundance and having it, then we get tempted to forget the Lord and our need for Him because we got a supply that we can focus on the supply. I got what I need in my hand, and I don't have to ask for anything. And Paul says, by like all things, he means that he can do everything God has called him to do in his service. Second Corinthians nine eight says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. He is able to make grace abound. Toward you. We look at that verse, Philippians 4:13 and I think the reason why we get it out of context so much is because we focus on I can do all things. We focus on the wrong side of the verse. Now we should focus on I can do because we are it's that balance of, uh, of um, uh, work. that God God, God will not do what we can do, and we can't do what God can do. So we have the balance in that verse that we should be doing His work in His kingdom. But what are we focusing on? We always say, well, I can do all things, but we should stop focusing on what I can do and start focusing on Him who strengthens us. He says, He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The verb is a present linear sense, continual, day by day, constantly happening. He is strengthening us. And 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Contentment in the life of a believer cannot be overstated in importance. Discontentment can't be overstated in its danger, the risk involved. And again, if for no other reason than that you're slapping God in the face with the blessings He's given to you by giving an evil report of it. And I'll tell you, I'm never going to say something bad about my car again. <laughs> but I just, I, may God help us to live lives in godly contentment. I mean, that's it's a simple, simple conclusion to a profound subject, contentment. I pray that God would help us to live with godly contentment. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for uh, the example that you've given to us in Paul. Um, Lord, thank you for the conviction you've given to me just through studying your word and studying contentment. And I pray that you would help uh, me to change uh, from what you've shown me in your word. And I pray that you'd help all of us to just make changes in our lives, to live content so that we can add to our godliness, contentment um, so that you can give us great spiritual gain. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen.